You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Good morning and welcome to Scottsdale Baptist Church. My name is Jeff Poteet and I get to serve here on staff as one of the pastors and it's a delight to gather with you this morning and study God's word together. If you're watching us online, we're so grateful that you continue to invite us into your home. We'd encourage you as you have opportunity being here in the Wilmington area to come and gather with us here in our home. We'd love to gather with you and encourage you. For those that are in the Cross Point Center, we're so excited about what God's doing as he continues to transform people through the work of the gospel. Several months ago, Ashley and I uh, started a little journey of ancestry uh, finding in our family. How many of you guys are into the ancestry thing? You go and you check out and see where you're, where you're from and who you are and where your lineage is. So we started doing this, it was kind of a random uh, opportunity. We saw one of her family members had posted something. So we thought, you know what? It'd be kind of fun to figure out where we're from, like who we are and all this stuff about, about where we might've come from. And so we decided to go on one of those sites. It was a free site. So it's not like you're expensive, like ancestry.com. So I'm not a hundred percent sure that it's not like Wikipedia, you know, like people just start putting stuff on there really randomly about who you are and where you come from. So I'm not sure if it's not, if it's super accurate, but it was fun for us to get started on this. So we decided to start with her first. So we started tracking her and went through one of her grandparents and kind of clicked back a couple of generations and a couple more generations. And the best that we can figure out with her, and she'll tell you this, the best that we can figure out is that her family got planted in Onslow County somewhere about the Tower of Babel, right? So <laughs> like they've been there for a while. They've been there for a while. We kept tracing back and back and back. And that's where we just, we kept landing in Onslow County. And so, so we decided, let's, okay, let's just do mine. Let's, let's go and see where I'm from and who I am. We thought the same thing would happen. We kind of expected, you know, the same thing except in Charlotte, which is where I'm from. So we expected, you know, pretty much there for a long time. So we, we started going through my grandmother's uh, lineage, my mom's mom. We started tracing back and tracing back and it was kind of normal for a little while. And then about the 15 and 1600s, I started seeing some sirs and some ladies. I was like, huh, this is interesting. Click back a couple of more and then it happened. One click that changed my life forever. (laughs) I clicked that button, that arrow, and up popped the reality that my great, 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 back a little bit farther than that, granddad was none other than King Edward III. (laughs) Like, I know you guys can see the resemblance. (laughs) So I didn't even, I didn't stop there. I just had to know, like, where else, what else is this? So I clicked back a little bit more and realized that not only am I royalty in England, I am also royalty in Spain and in France and in Portugal. So I'm literally, as I finished this, I thought, you know what? I like own half of Europe. This is crazy to think that this is who I am. You know, I thought I was a nobody in Wilmington, but here I am, royalty that should own all the castles in England and all these other places. Now, it hasn't really changed a whole lot in my family, except for now I just have my, king, my kids address me as your highness. And we kind of move forward in that, and they're jockeying for who's going to get this stuff. You know, one of our kids is already threatening the others, and you know how that goes unexpected find in my life. Now, we know that not all unexpected finds are fun like that. You know, sometimes in our lives, we have unexpected finds when we go to the doctor 
and the doctors do your regular normal blood work and you have an expectation of what's going to come next. And then they call you back and they say, we need to see you for another visit. We found something unexpectedly and we need to talk with you about what that means in your life. For some of you, you have an unexpected find whenever you, your spouse's phone is sitting on the table next to you and, and it starts buzzing with a, a message from somebody that you're not familiar with, a message that has things in it that, that your spouse shouldn't be con- communicating with other people. And, and you come to find out through that unexpectedly that your spouse is, has been an unfaithful in a relationship. Oh, maybe for you, it's a, as a friend, you have friends that are close to you. And as you, you think about what that is supposed to look like, you find out one day that unexpectedly they've been talking about you behind your back. They've been sharing things about your relationship or they've been sharing things about you that, that aren't true and, and you've, you feel hurt and you feel discouraged. You know, in life, we expect things to happen a particular way. We expect things to go in a particular way. We think of relationships and health and life to be particular way for them to function in a particular way. And yet we know that in our world, things happen unexpectedly all the time. Maybe even in this week for you, something has happened unexpectedly and you wonder, is there anything that God's word has to say to me? Any way in which God might be able to help me walk through this thing that I'm going through? Well, God's word uh, does give us information as it relates to unexpected finds. And if the reality was that everything that we had in life was, uh, was, was, un- was living under the sun, we would, we would function in the midst of those challenges with confusion and anger. We might be discouraged. We might, we might say, this is just a depressing situation. But the reality is in God's word, we see a, a great truth. And we're gonna look at this in, a, in Ecclesiastes chapter seven today. This bottom line, the gospel turns unexpected finds from confusion to comfort. The gospel turns unexpected finds, there's things in our lives that we don't expect from confusion where we don't know what to do to comfort. We're gonna open in God's word to Ecclesiastes chapter seven. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. We're gonna pray and then we will get to work and studying God's word together this morning. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that in in times of trial and trouble, in times of joy and excitement that your word gives us direction. We pray today as we open it, as we study it, as we seek to hear from you, that you would speak to us. That you speak to us clearly, that you would speak to us convictingly, and that you would convince us of ways in which we can honor you in the midst of our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So Ecclesiastes chapter seven, we're gonna be looking at verses 15 down through 29. So go ahead and have your, your, your thumb there your, or your ribbon there in your Bible. Uh, we're gonna start here in verse 15 with the first unexpected find that we see in Ecclesiastes. And it's this, we can't judge accurately. We can't judge accurately. We wanna be able to judge things in a particular way in our world, but we oftentimes unexpectedly cannot judge things Accurately. Notice what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 15. In my vain life, I have seen everything. And what we know from Solomon's life, he has probably seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Unexpected find. This isn't how it's supposed to work. In our world, we think that good people should get good stuff and blessings and bad people should get bad stuff and curses. That's just how we think about the world. That's what we expect things to do. 
But you know this to be true in your own life, that that's not the way that it happens. In your job, you've worked diligently. You've been a faithful employee that is that is always clocked in on time and has always done the work that was asked of you. You've worked with a high level of integrity and yet you're passed over for a promotion to the guy or the lady who is immoral in their actions, who doesn't show up early and uh, doesn't show up on time and leaves early, who is willing to lie to be able to get what they want. They get the promotion instead of you. And you say, well, well, where is the justice in that? For you as a student, you study hard. You study hard to to get a a good grade and, and you come up with a B. You get a B in your grade. But then you know classmates, who are, who are willing to not study and cheat off of somebody else who get an A and you wonder, wow, why is, why is that the case? How is that, how is that just? And so we come to passages like this and we start to wonder if God is a righteous judge, if God is a good judge and a good God and righteous, then how in the world does this make sense? It's dissonant for us. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to compute whenever we think of life like this. So the question is, what do we do? What is the answer for us? What is Solomon's wisdom going to be for us in this? Notice what he says. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Now, some of you are reading that and you're like, I kind of like this guy. Like this church is cool with me. Like they, they say, don't, don't try to do too much good stuff, but make sure you're sinning a little bit, but don't sin too much because that could be bad. And we look at this and we're like, that doesn't make sense either. Like how in the world would God tell us to do something like that? I mean, this is kind of a sin in moderation approach. And as you think about that, you, you might recognize here today, even for you that deep down inside, maybe that's the way that you live. Maybe you live that way not right now. You say, I just, I'm gonna do a little bit of sinning, but as long as it doesn't get too bad, then God's gonna be okay with that. Maybe you think in your life that you know deep down God is a, he's gonna judge sin, so I can't do too much wicked stuff, but I don't wanna waste my life. I wanna have fun. And so I enjoy or pursue things that are somewhat sinful. And you hope that at the end of the day, your good's gonna outweigh your bad. You hope that at the end of the day, God's gonna be okay with whatever it is that you chose to do. But if that's what he means, if that's what this passage means, then we have to ask the question, does God really care about righteousness? Is God really a holy God? If he's okay with us just sinning enough not to sin too much, if he's okay with us doing a little bit more than what he calls of us in in being holy as he is holy, this is not what he's telling us. What he's telling us is this, that there is an extreme pursuit of virtue that produces self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is whenever we view ourselves as better than others and we expect that God owes us something because of the way that we've lived, that God owes us some kind of blessing because we've done a lot of good stuff in our lives. There's also, on the flip side of that, a life that pursues excessive wickedness. And this endangers one life because it assumes that God is not just and that God will allow us to go on sinning without any recourse. But whenever we think about how the gospel comforts us and challenges us in this, we are reminded that God says, don't fool yourself. You're not as righteous as you think you are, and I am as righteous as I say I am. God will hold us to account, and we see this as he continues on in 
and changing our perspective in verse 18. It's good that you should take hold of this. And from that, withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. See, the gospel meets us here in our confusion and comforts us with the proper perspective on justice. I love the way that R.C. Sproul says it. He says like this, he says, why do bad things happen to good people? In the history of the world, that only ever happened once and he volunteered. The reality is that none of us are righteous, that none of us are as good as we think, that none of us are good in God's sight. And yet, because of the gospel, Christ has done a great work in redeeming us and bringing us back so that we can see the world from a gospel-centered lens, where whenever we go through times of trial and injustice in our lives, we don't look at it and say, God, you're not giving me what I deserve. We can look at it through the lens of the gospel and say, God has given me infinitely more than I deserve. And I can be willing to, to trust him in the midst of whatever it is that I'm going through. I love how Paul writes it in Ephesians chapter two. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He calls us to obedience, not so that we can earn his favor, but because he's already brought us into his family. And so we live our lives honoring him and trusting that whatever his gracious and good hand allows in our lives, it is for our good and for his glory. And so we can walk through even things and times of injustice, knowing that God is working out his plan in our lives. He says, it's not about how much good we've done. It's about what Christ has accomplished. Everything that we have is given to us on the basis of grace and not on our works. And so whenever, whenever we walk through challenges and trials, we're reminded that even in the midst of those times, even in the midst of what we might consider injustice and unjust realities, Christ has alleviated our biggest problem in the universe. He has taken away our sin. And so we can walk even in those trusting in God's perfect plan. We see this in, uh, in reality in our lives as we continue to, to face trials, trusting in our infinitely gracious God to accomplish his purposes, even through our suffering. So what does it move us to in our second unexpected find? Our unexpected find number two is this. We can't control absolutely. We can't control absolutely. Notice what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 19, 7, 19 through 22. He says, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. I'm seeing some blank stares because for most of us, when we look at that, we just see a bunch of random Proverbs put up there on the screen. Like, I don't know how to put these things together. Like, what, what in the world is Solomon trying to say to us? And I'll admit that over the course of time, I started thinking that myself. I read it and I was like, oh, how am I gonna put these together in a cohesive unit to be able to communicate to the, the people that have gathered to hear your word, God? And as I looked at it more and wrestled with the text and considered what the meanings of the words meant, the word surely is really where we get to see the key in this. You see that word surely can be translated surely, but it can also be translated because, which then makes this a cause and effect 
proverb. From the, the first two proverbs are cause and effect. So there's another way that we could read this that helps us as we seek what God is trying to teach us in this. Another way to interpret this passage, I'll read it for you twice, is this. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than 10 rulers because he understands that there is no one who is perfectly righteous. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than 10 rulers because he understands that there is no one who is perfectly righteous. Unexpected find number two. We expect that strength equals control in our lives. That strength is what we want. We would expect that 10 rulers is the best thing to have. Just think about the combined resources that they have at their disposal. Just think about the wisdom that they have. Just think about the the armies that they control. Think about the fortified walls and the cities that they have at their disposal. Surely, that's the best thing to have. Surely having power on your side, surely having control on your side is the thing to have. You know this to be true in your own life. A moment of confession for us here today. How many of you are control kind of people? Raise your hands. I know some of you are raising your hand in your heart right now because you know it's true of you, right? In your mind, you know that if everybody just did exactly what I said to do, when I said to do it, how I said to do it, that life would go swimmingly. It would all be great. There would be no problems in the world. Guys, he's talking to us in this, in this, in this part of his, his message. He is talking to us because he's saying this, even if you could control every aspect of life, even if you could control every environment that you are in, even if you could control every, every little thing about your life, there's one variable that you'll never be able to control and that you'll be confronted with each and every day. And it's the reality that everybody is a sinner. The variable that we never account for in our plans, that people aren't going to do what we want them to do because they are sinners. But how does the gospel bring comfort in the midst of this confusion? Because the reality is that is a confusing thing. We want things to go a particular way, but it's often interrupted, challenged, and changed because of people's actions and decisions. So how does does the gospel help us in this? It helps us by understanding this truth, that we can't overpower sin in others' lives, but because of the gospel, we can love people when they let us down. We can't overpower sin in other people's lives. We can't control their sin. But because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done, we can love people when they let us down. We can love people when they let us down. As much as we would like to control people, as much as we would like to have them do what we want them to do so that our lives are more comfortable, easier, we can't. Inevitably, people are going to let you down. Inevitably, people are gonna sin against you. Inevitably, people aren't going to do the things that they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do them. The only thing that we can control is not them. The only thing that we can control is our response to them in humility and love because of what Christ has accomplished in our lives. You see, this reality doesn't remove uh, the reality of accountability. So we're not saying don't hold people accountable. We're saying this prepares us to respond even in those times in a way that honors God. We see this fleshed out for us in Ephesians uh, chapter uh, as as he continues on in, in this passage, giving us a picture of this wisdom in verses 21 and 22. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself 
have cursed others. You know in your own life that you've heard the proverb, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt you. And at the same time, you know the crushing feeling whenever somebody slanders you behind your back. Whenever somebody says something that, that does truly break your heart. And you know the, the response that you may have in that, one of anger, one of lashing out. I can't believe that you did that. I, can't, I just don't understand why you would do that. I would never do that. And then we realize that in those moments, we're forgetting such a vital foundational truth that everybody that we interact with is a sinner. And the first one that we have to reckon with is ourselves, that we sin too. And so we, we have to appropriate and think through how, how we are to respond to people. The question for you today is, do you get angry and frustrated with people and situations when they don't do what you want them to do? Or when they don't do what you think they should do? Or do you respond to them in humility and grace? Do you respond to them in patience and kindness? You see, this is how we've been how we've been treated in the gospel. We see this in Ephesians chapter four. Paul writes, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You see, we've, we've received abundant forgiveness in Christ. We are to treat others and respond to others with that same kind of forgiveness, that same kind of grace and mercy. You see, once we remember that we are a sinner, we remember the grace that Christ has shown us. And so we are willing to then respond in love to those who sin against us and offend us in our everyday lives. This is an encourage that, that we can be comforted because of the gospel. Rather than being confused as to why people do what they do, we might be disappointed. We can still trust God and we can still treat them in love and in kindness. This moves us on to unexpected find number three, is that we can't know fully. We can't know fully. Notice what Solomon writes for us. He says, all this I've tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? As he, re as he writes this, he starts off on a positive note. He says, these things that I've done and tested, they've worked. This is good news. This is exciting for him. You know that kind of a feeling whenever you've done something and it, and it works out well and you're like, oh man, I could take on the world. This is, happens in our family when it comes to, to grilling food. I love to grill. I've learned to grill over the course of time. I've spent time going and saying, you know, I really wanna provide the best offering that I can to my family. And so I go and I look for ways to, to grill better. I, natural place for me to go is not a cookbook, but it's YouTube. How many of you guys Find out how to do stuff on YouTube. Yeah, grilling, yep, yeah, it's great. I love YouTube for those kinds of things. So I've gone, I've watched a couple of things, you know, watched a couple of guys on how they, how they do burgers. You know, what, what things do they put on them? How do they, you know, what temperature do they get the grill to? How long do they leave them on there? You know, all those things that make it important, it's important for how to grill a burger. And so, you know, the first couple of times, it was good. Got better progressively, getting better and better and better. And then, you know, you, you, you do that one time and, and everybody seems like, oh, this was really good. But then you realize that you've really mastered it whenever this happens. Kids, maybe the pickiest one of the bunch, goes to a restaurant, to a burger joint somewhere, and they come back and they tell you after you say, how was the food? It was, was, it, was it good? Did you enjoy your meal? And they say, yeah, but dad, they weren't like your burgers. 
You know that satisfying feeling. I mean, for me, it makes me feel like a king. And you guys, for some of y'all, I know it's not possible with your lineage, but for me, like, <laughs> like that's really a possibility here. And you just, you know that, status, that feeling like, oh man, if, if I can do this, then I can take on the world. Like, there's nothing that I can't do. This is what Solomon thought. He thought, you know, these things are working out. The, the, the earthly wisdom that I'm giving, the things that I'm beginning to give to people, the things that I'm considering are working out. And so in his mind, I can take on the world. There's nothing that I cannot do. You've probably even said this to your kids, or maybe you've heard somebody say it to their kids. Sweetheart, you can do anything that you put your mind to. You can be anything as long as you put your mind to it and as you work hard at it. This is exactly what Solomon believed. Let's notice again in verse number 23. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. I will be wise. If I set my mind to it, I can fully and completely comprehend all the mysteries of the universe. I can think about things and understand things that mere mortals can never imagine. This was Solomon's plan. You know the same insatiable desire for knowledge. You've experienced it in your life. Maybe it's, it's not like Solomon trying to figure out all the complexities of the universe, but you know that, that, that nagging feeling and desire that you have for knowledge whenever you have that pain in your leg. It's a phantom pain and you go to WebMD and you start checking, what is this pain in my leg? And then you start finding all the articles about the pains in your leg and what they could be and you go on this endless search and by the end of it, you're dead. <laughs> you know that feeling of, of looking for things. You, you know that feeling of thinking about the devastating effects and running through your mind. What would it be like if I lost my job today? What would it be like for my family if I lost my job? And you run the scenarios backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. Or you wrestle in your mind with all the reasons why or why not for the existence of God. You say, as long as God can give me, I know that I can find out every bit of information that I, that I wanna know. Like I know that I can find it out and then I'll be at peace. Then I'll be comforted. Then if those questions are all answered, I can have some peace and some confidence in this world. But as we read through scripture, we find that Solomon finds the same thing that you and I do that our knowledge is limited. Notice what he says. But it was far off from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Every day we're confronted with this unexpected find. We think we should be able to find out all the information that we want to know only to find that our abilities and our knowledge are limited. We can't find out everything we want to know. And there's so much confusion in this. I can't tell you how many times, and you've probably had this conversation in your own heart. If I just knew how tomorrow would go, I would know that things would be okay. If I just knew what my kids were gonna be like, then everything would be okay. If I just knew that it was all going to work out, then I could go through my days with confidence only to remember that all those things are out of our grasp. All those answers that we want to have are limited, but we find comfort even in the midst of the confusion 
through the gospel. See, because of what Christ has done, he has opened our eyes to the truth of God's perfect and unfailing character. So even in the midst of the things that we don't know, we can trust in his perfect character to accomplish his purposes. Notice what Peter writes in 2 Peter. He says, his divine power, God's, has granted to us all things that pertain to life, that's eternal life and godliness, that's living life in this world through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. God's power has granted to us all that we need for eternal life and for godly living in this world through the knowledge of him. Through knowing who he is, through knowing his character and his attributes, we can walk through whatever confusion that we have because we don't know, trusting that he is good, that he is wise, that he is perfect. A statement that I wrote down as I considered this, God doesn't have to tell me everything I want to know in order for me to trust him for the things that I need to know. God doesn't have to tell me everything that I wanna know because they are many for me to trust him in the things that I need to know. We wanna know how long we'll live. We wanna know the trajectory of our lives. We wanna know if our kids are gonna follow the Lord. We wanna know if our grandkids are gonna follow the Lord. We're gonna know what the end of our life is gonna look like. We wanna know, we wanna know, we wanna know. And the gospel says to us, you don't need to know all those things. All you need to know is that whatever happens, whatever you walk through, because of God's character, you can be confident. All you need to know is in the midst of that, God is with you. All you need to know is that in the midst of that, God will sustain you, that he will comfort you, that he will provide for you, that he will strengthen you, that he will uphold you, that he will bring you fully and perfectly into his presence forevermore and not allow you to fail. And all we need to know is that he'll give us guidance in the time that we need it. I remember Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the hidden things belong to the Lord, but the things given to us are for our children to obey so that we may honor him in our lives. We have things that we want to know, but God has given us the things that we need to know in his word. And he calls us today to faithfully follow him in that. The comfort of trusting an all-knowing and all-powerful God guards me from confusion when I don't know what's gonna happen next. This is comfort for us in a world that seems always in an upheaval, that we can, we can trust God, even in the midst of our confusion. So what is the last unexpected find that Solomon describes? Well, it's one that we don't like at all. His unexpected find is this, we are the problem. We are the problem. Notice what he says in verses 25 through 29. I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. 
Now, when you read this, at first glance, it looks like Solomon just hates women, right? Like you read that and you're like, dude is blaming her for everything. She's a snare. She's, a, she's binding him. Uh, she, you know, he can't get away in this situation. Not only that, she's not as wise as the, the men counselors or the, or the bros that he's got. And you, and you just think, man, he's just blaming her for all of his sin. Like this guy doesn't own any of it. He doesn't own any of the things that he is doing. He's blaming his He's blaming this lady, this, this, women, this woman, for his sinful choices. But then we start thinking about it and we realize that's not too far from us either. Let's think about the reality of how often we blame people for our sinful choices. It has been happening since the third chapter in Genesis. We see this in Genesis chapter three. He said, this is God speaking to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Notice who Adam blames. He blames God. God, you gave me the woman. And he blames the woman. She gave me the fruit. Adam doesn't, he doesn't own up to his sin. He says, it's somebody else's fault that I did this. We see the same for Solomon. We see the same for us. Think about the times that you've said, I wouldn't lose my temper if my kids would just behave. I wouldn't lose my temper if my coworkers just did what I told them to do. If my spouse was more considerate to me, I would be a very patient person, except for the traffic on Market Street and in Hampstead. (laughs) Think about that. I would be patient if I didn't have so many things to do. I would be patient if the people around me weren't so slow, I would be patient if the grocery store had people working the counters and not sending me through self-checkout line. I would be patient if all these other things would work in my lives, in my life. But upon further investigation, we notice something in Solomon's life that is true for us. We notice something else in his his life that is happening. It starts in verse 25. Solomon was pursuing wisdom, but then there's a turn. There's a turn in his his affection and his desire. Notice what he says. I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom. That seems like a good thing and the scheme of things. But then we see this turn and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. He turned his heart to pursue things that were wicked. And do you know what he found? Exactly what he was looking for. He found an opportunity to embrace the sin that he was looking for. Notice what it says. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Whenever we read this, we see the drama of James chapter one fleshing itself out for us. James chapter one, verse 13 through 15 says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
You see, what we see happening in Solomon's life is that his desires are what is driving him to pursue the women. It's his desire. It's not her problem. It's his problem. He's the one that has misplaced affections. He's the one that has a distorted view of sexuality. You see, we as people are constantly pursuing things that we think will satisfy us. For Solomon, his drug of choice was sex. And every time he went back to that well, he came up empty. As we progress through this passage, we see that Solomon seeks and seeks and seeks and finds what he was looking for. He pursued something with a distorted view of what God designed sexuality to be. He pursued it for his own pleasure and passion, not to love and serve. We know this from his life. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Tell me that Solomon doesn't have a problem here. I'm not talking about the wives. I'm talking about himself, right? He was pursuing something with such, with such ferocity that he could not imagine having anything else. His desire was, was placed on sex and sexuality. And he went after it with all of his heart. He went out with, with all of his time. He spent his time pursuing something, hoping that it would find him satisfaction. And what we recognize from Solomon's life, even in the way that he describes people, is that he began to objectify women. He saw them as an object to be pursued and not someone to love and to serve. We see it in the way that he talks about her as a snare, but we also see it in the way that he talks about his, his confidants, the people that he engages with, the people that he gets counsel from. He, he finds that there's one man among a thousand, which is a pretty low percentage if you think about that. He can only find one guy that he can find confidence in. He's not pursuing this in terms of homosexuality or anything like that. It's just in terms of trusting them and being able to get advice from them and to learn from them. He's saying, I can't even find a woman to do that, which helps us to see that he wasn't looking at women in the right way. He was looking at them as objects to be pursued and not people to be loved and to be served. He didn't see them as image bearers of God. He just saw them as objects that would satisfy his own passions. We see this even in his, in his life, as his life from, in, in 1 Kings, we see how he moved his heart away from the Lord and how women had his heart so, so solidly that he turned away from the Lord. We see as he continues in this passage, verse 29, this alone I found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. See, in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve in perfect fellowship with him perfectly satisfied in their relationship with God. But as we see as scripture progresses, we get to Isaiah chapter 53, says that we have all like sheep have gone astray, each one going to our own way. Now, our way, our scheme may not be like Solomon's. You may be here today and say, you know what, that's, that's not my scheme. But the reality is that this passage teaches us that we are all schemers, that we are all seeking some scheme in our lives that we think will satisfy us. Just like Solomon, we are pursuing something that we think will satisfy us. Some people think that intimacy will fix their brokenness. So they pursue relationship after relationship after relationship only to come up empty and find that they just live their lives with hurt, with regret and in brokenness. Others look for jobs or success to provide that kind of satisfaction and they work 
many more hours than they ought to. They go to the nth degree. There, there are people that maybe their, their pursuit is on making lots of money and there are hundreds of other things that we could go after. But these things never bring lasting satisfaction for us. Alcohol, sex, relationships, approval, power, money, add to the list. Keeps going and going and going. We keep going back, hoping that the next time will be the time. Hoping that the next time will be the time that that I'll get what I was looking for, only to find that we leave disappointed, discouraged, brokenhearted each time. We say, well, how does the gospel comfort us in this? If we're the problem, how does the gospel bring comfort? Well, the reminder is this, that God has made us to be filled. He has made us as people to be filled, to be satisfied. But he's saying, I'm the only one that can do it. All the things that you go after, all the things that you pursue will never actually get you what you want because you were created for me. You're created for me to be the one that satisfies you. I love the way that Augustine says it. He says, our soul is restless. And you felt that, you know that feeling. You know the feeling of going from one thing to another, hoping and thinking and and wondering, is this gonna be the thing? You know the restless feeling of pursuing something apart from God. He says, our soul is restless until it finds its rest in thee, until it finds its satisfaction in God. We will keep attaching ourselves to one more thing, to one more pursuit, to one more pleasure, to one more hope that we think is going to accomplish what we want it to accomplish, only to find that it leaves us empty each and every time. But there is freedom for us in acknowledging that the problem isn't somebody outside of us, but it is us, that it is me. This is where the gospel continues to take that confusion of feeling overwhelmed at our sin, overwhelmed at our pursuits, and brings us comfort because God in Christ has forgiven us fully and freely. And we have redemption in him. And you see, if we think about this, and we think, man, if Solomon is the last word on this whole situation, if Solomon's wisdom and his advice is the last word, we should leave depressed. We should leave hopeless and helpless because we are gonna run out of abilities. We're gonna run out of opportunities. We're gonna learn out of, we're gonna run out of, of ability to think. But this is really where God brings us in his grace and his wisdom. He begins to chip away at the foundation of all the things that we have put our hope in here under the sun. All the things that we have looked for satisfaction in, he begins to chip away those things slowly, steadily, not to leave us in a place of brokenness where we, we are discouraged, but in a place where he takes the things, the, the rubble of our pursuits, and he transforms them by the power of the gospel to be something beautiful for his glory. He turns our seeking into finding. Another unexpected find, the one that is more unexpected than any of the things that we've seen because we've seen life under the sun, but there is an unexpected find that God provides. And this unexpected find is Jesus. The most unexpected find in history as we consider what God has done for us in Christ. And this is the only one that doesn't bring confusion, but only brings comfort for us. Let's notice in Romans chapter five. Paul says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Unexpected 
find. We would, ex- we would not expect a righteous person to die for an unrighteous person. It would be kind of like this. There's a man, woman on death row. You get a call one day. It says, hey, listen, we're willing to make a trade. We'll let this guy on death row, we'll let him go scot-free. There's gotta be a trade involved. You've gotta die in his place. If you die in his place, then we'll let him go. How many of you guys are gonna take that? Yeah, that's what I thought. Because I would be in your number. Because we even consider our own pseudo kind of righteousness better than somebody on death row. So we would never in a million years think, I'll substitute myself for that guy so that he can live. Because that's exactly what Christ has done for us. That we are not like almost righteous. We are not like almost godly. Scripture describes us as ungodly. We had none. And that Christ, who is perfectly righteous, who had never disobeyed once, had never sinned at all, who obeyed the law perfectly, substituted himself on our behalf on the cross so that we could have life, so that we could have a new perspective on life and trials and challenges so that God could transform our view of of confusing situations and unexpected finds from confusion to comfort. So that each and every day, no matter what we walk through, because of what Christ has done, we can live in full assurance that God has accepted us and that God will work in our lives to produce in us the kind of character that he desires. I love, I love what one writer says. He says this, since futility was not the first word about our world, it no longer has to be the last. See, today you may feel like the last word in your life is futility. You may feel like the last word in your life is frustration and confusion, but God says it doesn't have to be that way today. He says, I've made a way for you to have comfort. I've made a way for you to have clarity and it's only through the cross. So today, if you're not here, if you're here and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he invites you today to come out of that futility, to come out of that confusion, to embrace Christ by surrendering your life to him by confessing that you are a sinner in need of a savior and accepting God's perfect sacrifice on your behalf. He will forgive you fully and freely. He will transform you from the inside out to make you be what he desires you to be in Christ. If you're here and you're a believer, it doesn't mean that we don't go through confusing times, but it means that in the midst of those confusing times, God is with us, that God provides clarity and comfort for us as we walk through our day-to-day lives, focusing our attention on what he's done for us in Christ and through the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We pray that as we go from this place, that you'll encourage us, that you'll challenge us, that you'll build us up in Christ so that we can be what you desire for us to be for your glory. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.